So uh, we're going to dive into questions. There are some great, great questions. Now, um, we discovered something the previous service, and that was that the first question we're going to deal with was such a big topic that we didn't have time for any of the other questions. And so we are going to follow that same pattern this service, and I've made a decision that we're also going to do question and answer next week uh, so we can get to a lot of the other questions that were asked as well. But this one just happened because of the nature of the question, because of uh, current events and things like that. It it, it was a very big issue that needed some time. And so so we'll deal with it the best we can. And and, and, and and, and so it's it's the question of... Uh, and it comes up every time we do one of these Q&As, but it's the question of uh, homosexuality in the Bible and, and what does the Bible say and why is it wrong and what do we believe and, you know, variations of that question. So here we go. Uh, if God made everyone in his own image, why is being gay a sin? I have friends that are gay and they say they were born that way. I've never been able to wrap my head around that. Uh, how do you stay true to biblical truth and teaching when it comes to embracing the homosexual community? And then, is being gay wrong? Can you be a Christian and still be gay? So, um, let me give a little bit of, uh, catch some of you up that may, I, I, you're probably mostly in the know, but um, because of the the timing of the India trip and the timing of some things that happen in our community. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, it worked out to where I kind of lobbed a grenade in this town and then hopped a flight and left the country, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> so um, I know there's been a lot of questions and, and uh, you know, a lot of from outside of our church, from inside of our church, and, and that. And so just to kind of catch you up briefly, um, there was one of our elected officials who, um, in this city who um, wrote some very uh, just degrading and demeaning, ugly things about the um, LGBTQ community. And um, now, for, just so you know me, I'm not... I'm not waving the rainbow flag. That's not that typical. I'm, I'm an evangelical Christian pastor, right? And it typically has not been my, you know, issue to get really passionate about, or right or wrong. It just hasn't been. And but what got my dander up, and what what I was passionate about was um, a person in power using their power and their position um, to demean and degrade others. And, and I felt very strongly that part of our call as Christians is to, and I believe if you were here last week, Pastor Raleigh spoke to this, is to stand in the gap for those who, who have no voice or who are marginalized or whatever. And so I spoke up. I went to the city council meeting and, and I looked this gentleman in the face I said the words that I needed to say to him, that he had let me down, that he had let our community down, that he needed to weigh his words as a representative of our community, uh, that he doesn't just speak for himself anymore, he speaks for us as a town. And um, anyway, so I said what I had to say. And I also, um, through the help of of Kevin, because my time ran out, uh, Kevin read the rest of my, my speech, and I really thank him for doing that, but 
uh, try to give a message of grace to, to the offended. And um, I had no idea what was going to happen when that, I mean, I, I was just, I just felt emotional and, and felt like I needed to speak up, and I did, and I had no idea what God was going to do with that. Um, and so I, my words gained a lot of traction and gathered a lot of attention like that I did not, I was not aiming at or did not see coming. I mean, I this is the first time I've ever been quoted in the Washington Post. So, <laughs> like, I, like I, I mean, just things like that. And I, and I was getting phone calls um, and, and notes from, from all types of different people. Some, you know, calling me, uh, I don't know, you know, just that I wasn't really a true Christian, that I didn't believe in the Bible and all this kind of stuff. And then there were others um, calling me in tears, saying, uh, you make me think that maybe God still loves me. And, um, and so one of the things that came out of that was I then was invited by the organizers to open up give opening remarks at the uh, Pride rally yesterday here in town. Now, I never in a million years thought I would have a platform at a Pride rally. Like, that was not on my radar. It was not on my bucket list. It was not, I mean, I just, but, so I actually got the call from a former Living Hope, Hoper, uh, and he um, he said, hey, you know, we, we were meeting, the organizers were meeting, and we all would really like for you to, we just appreciate what you said at the council meeting, we'd like for you to come and give an invocation, which normally means like an opening prayer um, at, the, at the rally. And, uh, but the but thing is, is that when we were meeting, we were also meeting with a psychologist who said, you know, a lot of the people in the crowd have probably been hurt and abused by Christians and churches and and, and so the psychologist was worried that a prayer might be an emotional trigger for some. And so could you give an invocation without praying? And I said, I would prefer to give an invocation without praying. Be, are you kidding me? That's, I talk. That's what I do, right? And so, so, yeah, I will definitely give some opening remarks. And so, you know, all along the way, you know, I've been talking to the leaders of the church and kind of trying to keep them apprised of things and and we've all just been praying for two things. One, wisdom. Wisdom. Um, and the second thing that we've been praying for is just not a great movement, but just, just a handful of relationships. That just a handful of relationships would just come out of this so that we would then gain the privilege and opportunity to speak into people's lives and bring healing to their lives, right? And I think that, especially around such a hot-button issue like this, that kind of... That those conversations happen best in relationship, not lobbing truth grenades from a distance, right? Or with a bullhorn. Um, and so we were praying for relationships, and we started to see that come about. Now, I want to play a video for you. Some of you have already seen it on Facebook. It's, uh, it's what I said yesterday at the rally. I don't, I don't, I'm not playing it to say, look at me. I'm, I'm playing it because I realize that as your pastor, when I go into this community, like it or not, I represent all of you as well. And some of you are going to hear things uh, about what I've said or what I've done and what's up with your pastor. Doesn't he believe in the Bible anymore and all this kind of stuff? And 
I want you to hear from my mouth what I actually said so when those conversations take place, you have a point of reference for that conversation, okay? And so this is what I said yesterday at the rally, okay? Hey, good morning, everybody. What an awesome day. It's a beautiful day to be here. Hey, I'm, I'm Jeff Myers. I'm with Living Hope Church here in Dixon. And uh, if I'm honest with you, I've had a lot of people asking me lately, what does a... Uh, um, evangelical Christian pastor have any business uh, speaking up at a rally, uh, that sort of thing. And, um, and and some people maybe wonder, Jeff, do you even still believe in the Bible? And they, all these weird questions being lobbed at me. And I would say this, I speak up exactly, actually precisely because of my faith. And I, I, I want to just encourage you with, with a couple of words this morning. Um, I'm kind of a Bible nerd, and so allow me to nerd out here for just a second. <laughs> The story of the Bible can be actually be summed up uh, by just a couple of, uh, of sentences. One, that there's a God who created the whole universe. And two, that um, sin entered the world and broke that perfect universe because of the way all of us humans have sinned throughout all history. And three, that God has started this project to actually restore all of that and make it all brand new again. And when he does that, he'll renew all of creation. He'll perfect the relationship between humans and God. And on top of that, justice will be the rule of the day. Justice will be the rule of the justice will be the air that we breathe when God is finished with this project. I, I look around me today and I see a lot of things that don't look like justice at all. We're gathered here today for the first time ever because of some things we saw that didn't look like justice. And so I can't wait to the day when that's it. And what I love most about God is that God looks at us, his children, and he says, I'm trying to build this brand new kingdom in this world where instead of, instead of abuse, justice will be the name of the kingdom. And I want to involve you guys in making that possible. I want, to, I want to incorporate you guys in helping me bring a new kingdom of justice to this world. And so that's what he does. And so a lot of people, when they think of God's work, they think of Christians sitting up in churches and singing songs and preaching sermons and things like that. And I'm telling you, there's so much more to God's work than just what takes place in the walls of a church. That God's work takes place when we stand up and we speak up for those that are poor, who are marginalized, who have no voice, when we stand up for the, for the gay kid who's being bullied, when we stand up for the, for the black man who is overly scrutinized just because of the color of his skin, when we stand up for the, the Muslim woman who is forced to leave a beach just because of what she's wearing, when we stand up for the those with mental illness that struggle to just to maintain a job and struggle just to keep living one more day. When we stand up for people who those people in power would say, we want to make you feel less than human. When those people with wealth would say, we're going to exploit you for every dollar we can get out of you. When we stand up for those people, then God's work is done. God's work is done. And so that's what we're all about. That's why I stand up. That's why a lot of you stand up as well. That's why we speak up. I, I, I just want to close out with just, this, uh, just one thing, just a, a quick story and a word of encouragement to you. The story is this, that I, I grew up in a pastor's family. Um, I've, I've been around church my entire life. 
all the good and all the bad. And I've seen a lot of bad. I've seen a lot of bad. I've seen, I've, I've been in some pretty ugly, abusive churches myself. I've been, as many of you I know, I probably have, have been, I've been personally abused by people who would call themselves Christians or claim the name of a particular church. I know what that feels. I, I think the most egregious abuse ever against me was when I was in junior high. There was a local pastor in the church, I, in the town that I lived in, and I was sexually abused by that man. And no justice ever came for that crime. I know what it's like to feel beat up and abused and pushed away by people who would call themselves Christians. And I've had people ask me, Jeff, why didn't that destroy your faith? Why didn't that make you want to leave the church? And the only answer I can think of is this, is that I just really loved God and I really believed that he loved me and I just wasn't going to let that man stand between me and God. I wasn't going to give him that power. And so as I got older and I began to think about going into ministry and going into church work myself, I, I, just, I had this feeling if I could create an environment at a church where I could help other people avoid the abuses and the ugliness that I had experienced as a younger man, then, then I'd, man, I'd give my life to doing that. Living Hope Church here in town and actually several other churches here in town just like it, it's, we're not a perfect church. Uh, that unicorn does not exist. But this is what I can tell you about is, is that we're an authentic church. We're a real church. We're a church that a very imperfect people who lock arms and we just try to make our way to a perfect God stumbling along the very best that we can. And I, I don't know where you are today, but this is what I have to say for you. If, if, if there's anything at all that's been stirring in you recently and making you think that maybe God might be drawing you to him in any way, shape, or form, can I just challenge you to explore that? Can I encourage you to make a step halfway towards a God that's making a step towards you? C.S. Lewis, the great writer, he, he used to call God the hound of heaven. God chases you. He pursues you. He loves you. He does not hate you. In fact, he looks at you and he sees someone worth dying for. And that, listen, I can't promise you an easy road but this is what I can promise you. I can promise you a group of people who will love you, who will embrace you, who will walk with you through all of life's ups and downs, and we'll muddle through this together, and I think we'll all come out fine on the other side. So this is what I want to do. I just want to say, let you know today that I'm praying for all of you. Our church prays for all of you, and I want to encourage you to just have a great day showing people, showing the world that there's more love in Dixon than there is hate. All right, everybody have a great day. I want you to know that Living Hope still believes what Living Hope has always, still, always believed. I still believe what, what I currently believe. My beliefs are always morphing. So um, I, you know, nothing, nothing has changed in that regard, okay? For those of you concerned, do I still go to a conservative church? Then a fundamental church, then, then yeah, you do. We, we put the fun in fundamental, right? That's why. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, all I wanted to do was use the platform that 
God granted me to share the gospel. That was it. Good or bad, regardless of who would listen or who would not, I just wanted to share the gospel. That's all I'm about. It's all I'll ever be about. I'm not a politician. I don't really... It would be bad for me to be in politics because I get really angry about things. And so, like, it, I, I just, I want to just do Paul. Just Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? That's, I just want to preach the gospel. And, um, and I thank God so much that he opened doors for me and for our church that I, I never dreamed of opening myself, that he's given us influence into a community I never dreamed we could have influence in. And um, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, we're, called to, we're called to love. Plain and simple. Do we believe, believe the Bible is true? Yes. In fact, we believe it's all true. And so we read all the stuff it says to us about love. And we apply that too. Um, it, we, we've got to stop as Christians, and, and I, I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here. I know, you know we tend to be a pretty healthy church. But as Christians, we have to stop, you know, like I said, lobbing grenades, at a, a truth grenades at, from a distance at people, and instead make yourself vulnerable, vulnerable love people enough to actually get in relationship with them so you can show them love, so you can show them compassion so that not only you can be heard, so they can be heard as well. And this stuff, this, this, you know, there's no Lone Ranger Christians out there. We have to do this in community. We have to do it in relationship. And this is where genuine life change can really happen. Yes, go ahead. So, as Jeff was talking, and he kept he keeps using that reference, lobbying grenades. It made me think of the passage in Scripture where um, a woman is being stoned, physically stoned to death, because men had decided that they could judge her, and that they could be her judge and jury, or whatever, all in one, and they were quite literally physically stoning her to death. And Jesus steps in. And he says to the men, um, any of you who've never sinned, feel free. Keep throwing stones. And of course, they had to turn away because no one in this universe other than Jesus is perfect. And they knew that they had sinful pasts or sinful lives as well. And to me, the idea of loving people, we all know that God's word tells us that we should love people. But I think that we can take it one step further and say Jesus was an example of that it is our call to stand up for people who are being bullied and abused. Even if the situation is that they're sinful, that is still not our job. And um, for Jesus himself to stand up and say, stop throwing stones unless you perf- unless you're perfect, you know, stop. And so I don't think that you have to be a pastor I don't think you have to be a community leader. I think that any and all of us who have accepted the love of of Christ, we have an obligation to, as John Stallnacker did last Tuesday night in the meeting, to stand up for the love that Christ stands for and um, 
Yeah, I just think that's an example of it in Scripture. That yeah. It's our obligation to stand up for people who are being abused when whether they've sinned or not isn't even the issue. It's not right for people to be bullied like that. And um, yeah. And then, of course, in that relationship Jeff's talking about, reach out to them in love. So. Yeah. We, um, you know, at Living Hope, we're not trying to create a country club for Christians. We're trying to create a rescue center for the lost. And, and in order for that to happen, like that gets, that gets messy. It gets messy. Like you guys, do you guys understand that? That when, when you invite people far from God to come and know God and meet God, that gets messy. It's not easy. There are not pat answers. There is not a one size fit all, fits all process for leading someone to Christ and seeing them through life change. It gets messy. That people just don't know what they don't know. Like, I got to think, there's, when I was doing youth ministry, there was this young girl, really rough around the edges in the Bay Area, and, and um, she was probably a freshman or a sophomore, and she, uh, she finally, after weeks of, you know, hanging around us, finally came to faith in Christ. She was so excited. You could just see the transformation on her face and everything, you know, and and so that happened one week. The very next week, she's back at youth group again, and we had a fight. There was a, there was a, a, a couple boys out in the parking lot fighting, and they were friends of hers. She gets in the middle of them, and, and she's, she, you know, she's, she's like, you guys stop it. We're all Christians here, and we love Jesus. I'm going to kick your ass if you don't stop. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I'm looking at that going, Okay, that's progress. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 like, it's like, you know, we're almost there. You know, that sort of thing. And so, like, you, you, it's, it's messy. It's not clean cut. It's not. But we're called to love. I was reading uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Paul starts off like this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul's message is, it doesn't matter if you are super Christian. If you can't love, you're a clanging symbol. What is that? In other words, it's like, we got we to gotta stop this whole, where'd it go? Right there. <laughs> so, all right. So we got to stop this whole thing about like, like uh, you know, one of my least favorite phrases in all Christendom is love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin is your way to say, I love you. Now, excuse me while I be a jerk and tell you a bunch of really ugly things. Love, love the sinner, hate the sin, usually turns out like, like your, your lifestyle is horrible. It's, it's us as Christians going, you know, you're, you're living a life that's far from God. Your lifestyle is deplorable, all this kind of stuff. And we, we drop that bomb on them. And then we go, but love the sinner, hate the sin. I love you. God loves you. Hey, will you come to church with me? Come to church with me. Like we have a really great, awesome youth ministry. We, have a, we may have a good time. It's a great, loving community. We will love you through all of your issues. Uh, praise God. I love Jesus. Praise God. And they can't hear anything you're saying. Why? Because you're a jerk. They cannot hear Christ 
over the noise of your jerkiness. And we've got to stop it. This is all I'm asking, folks. All I'm asking is that we afford the same invitation and the same grace to the LGBTQ community that we afford to everyone else in our lives. Because with almost everybody else in your life, you don't go to them and shout at them about their lifestyle and then invite them to Jesus. You just invite them in and you hope they hear truth and you hope the Holy Spirit speaks to them and you trust the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. You don't have to beat them up and make them feel miserable and make them feel less than before you invite them in. You don't have to do that. Your job is to love. As John said the other night at the council meeting, judgment is above our pay grade. Judgment is above our pay grade. We don't judge. In fact, Scripture very explicitly, Paul very explicitly tells the church, stop judging people outside the church. That's in the Bible. He says, you want to judge somebody? Judge who's in your church. Clean up the mess in your house. Stop judging people outside the church. He says, what business do you have to do that? The answer is none. We don't have any business doing that. We just don't. We're called to love. We're called to speak the gospel in truth and in love. And it's hard. It's messy. There are no simple solutions. But this is the life we're called to. This kind of long-term messiness that God invites us into, it's where you'll find the greatest fulfillment. Like there's no flash mob Christianity where you just pop in and you're amazing and then you leave and then it goes viral for everybody to love. No. You dive into people's life and there's ups and there's downs. There's truth and there's lies and there's betrayals and there's victories and there's crying and there's tears and there's, there, there's, there's the whole spectrum of life that, ha- that takes place. This is the thing that we're talking about. When we talk about the LGBT community and any other community for that matter, These are not just people to be chastised and shouted at and whatever. These are people that we've been called to love. These are people with real emotions and real hearts and real lives. These are contributing members of our societies. These are caring people. You guys have heard me say this before. I was talking to Phil about this recently. You know, I've heard, I've said before that you know, when we talk about, like, say, Christian pastors, you know, there's this stigma around pastors that, you know, they're all just money grubbing and, you know, that's all they care about is money and power and, you know, abuse of their position and things like that. And, I, and I've always said, you know, do those pastors exist? Yeah, I guess. I mean, there's been a few of them in the news, but I've never met one. Honestly, never. I've never, every single, I've, and I've been in church my entire life. My dad was a pastor. All his friends were pastors. My granddad was a pastor. My, both my brothers are pastors. I have a circle of pastors in my life, trust me. And I have never met that guy, ever. All the ones I know are doing the best they can to serve God and be faithful to his calling on their life. That's it. I say that to say, there's a stigma around the LGBTQ community that they are, they are 
wicked and, and they have an agenda that they want to gay up your kids. And they, and they, and it's just like, like they want to, they, they got this whole thing going, you know, where they're trying to, do those people exist? I don't know. Maybe. But you know what? I've never met one. Never. Every gay person I have met is a better Christian than me. Everyone. They love. They have compassion. Their capacity for compassion, their capacity for, for having a heart for people exceeds my own most of the time. They are good people. Are they far from God? Yes, but you were too at one time. You were too. And none of us are so far from God that we have, can outrun His grace. None of us. And so... Let's be a people who will just see people as people, as God's children. Stop labeling them, stop categorizing them, and just see them as God's kids. The mission field we've been called to reach, regardless of what their baggage is, just reach out to them. You want to add anything? I'm talking. <laughs> Uh, whatever. It's, I, I know that this is a concept I wrestled with before we moved to Dixon. When we lived in Missouri, we had um, friends in the LGBTQ community that attended our church. And I remember um, just struggling with what I had been taught all my life by others and people taking scripture and sometimes twisting it or whatever. And I remember what a difficult time I had, not just not loving them, that, that came easy, but accepting the fact that someone um, could truly come to Christ and that he was going to take care of the rest. And I think that for some people, especially if you've been in faith for a long time, we feel like we've got it all figured out. This is the formula for what a Christian life should look like. So when a person comes to know Jesus, we have these expectations of what we think it should look like. Um, but the truth is, is that God calls those people to him in his time. And when a person, be it LGBTQ or otherwise, doesn't really matter, when they come to Christ, then the Holy Spirit enters their life. And it's a very real and powerful thing. And the Holy Spirit takes over and begins to speak to them about the changes that they need to make and the the things that they might need to do differently or, you know, it, it, we talk, there's scripture that talks about God transforming us from the inside out and making us a new person and a new creation. And again, I'm not saying this is only for LGBTQ. This is for all of us. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, it says in Romans. And it really doesn't matter. We all have issues. We all have questions. And so the truth is, is that someone comes to Christ and our job is to pray for them, to walk alongside of them, to befriend them, to love them, and allow God, the Holy Spirit, to speak into their lives. Even our counseling program here at the church, when people come into counseling, there are times that we'll sit and say, you need to do this, you need to change that. But the vast majority of the time, we say, this is a scripture I want you to read, and I want you to ask God to let you know, God, what is it that this is telling me? And they go home and they read the scripture, and they write down a few things that they feel like God is speaking to their heart about. 
And through that process, they begin to change, and their marriages are healed, and their lives are healed, and anxiety goes away, or whatever it is. And I just feel like that's what our job is in general as people, as people who love Jesus. Our job is to allow the Holy Spirit and his word to speak to their hearts and change them, and it takes time. And we just need to lower our expectations and love them. Yeah, yeah. So does, to answer the specific question that came in this service, is, is being gay wrong? Is it, is it a sin? Um, so the, the thing is that it doesn't really matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Jamie thinks or what the elders think or anything. What we think is not of consequence. We want to look to what God's word says. And I'm going to be honest with you. There are about three or four verses in, in the Old and New Testament, both Testaments, that do call out homosexuality as a sin. But this is what I would say to you. Have you read the Bible? Like everything's a sin. <laughs> Everything. It's all sin. You're swimming in sin all the time. Like, like every, every, we, we, we feel like we got to tell people of that community that God hates your lifestyle and he is so displeased with your lifestyle. I got news for you. God hates your lifestyle too. He does. He's got more to say in his word about your fat gut than he's got to say about being gay. He's got more to say about your materialism. He's got more to say about your hatefulness and your gossip. And he hates all of this, all of it. And we are all just covered in it. And we're all dependent on the blood of Jesus Christ to wash us free of it. Every single one of us. So we have to hang on to that. I'll do my very best to be faithful to God's word. But I think we focus so much on sin. We want to know what's a sin, so, you know, whatever. And we avoid the sins, you know, we kind of ignore the sins that we commit. Oh, you know, that's not really a big deal. But all those others, holy cow, we got to talk about that. Talk about that. I see it in the news all the time. I hear politicians talking about it. You know, they, they, it's Paul, this, is, this is how big of a, a group of sheep all of us are. The politicians tell us what they think is a sin, so you'll vote for them. It's ridiculous. And you know good and well they don't even care. They don't even care. And we've got to stop falling into that trap. Ooh, what's a sin? What's a sin? It's all sin. We're all unholy compared to a holy God. All of us. But that's not what this is all about. This is about sinful people placing their faith in a perfect, holy, loving, just, righteous God and allowing Him to be sinless for us. That's it. That's it. Now, I'm going to ruffle some feathers a little bit more right now. And... For those of you, I, I, I promise you somebody's going to walk away upset at what I'm getting ready to say. Um, we have a very high regard for Scripture here. Very high regard for Scripture. Um, but I think most Christians, I'm going to hold up my phone. I mean this as my Bible because it's in here somewhere. <laughs> I think most Christians worship the Bible more than they worship the God of the Bible. 
You worship the Bible more than you worship the God of the Bible. The Bible, while I have an extremely high regard for it, I see it as the the final authority for my life, and I submit myself completely to it to the best of my ability. The Bible is a 2,000 to 3,500-year-old document written by men in a particular time of history to other people in that time of history. The Bible was not written to you. It was written for you. There's a difference. And as a Bible that, and as a, a document that was written to ancient men, ancient humanity, we have the difficult task of taking this thousands, get that in your head for just a second, this document thousands of years old. We have the difficult task of taking this thousands of year old document and trying to apply it to our 21st century lives. And that is tricky. Anybody who tells you that's easy and all black and white, they're selling you something because that is not true. It is difficult. It is difficult. Now here's the part that's going to ruffle your feathers. The way we, God's word is unchanging. Amen? Unchanging. The Bible says it. The way we apply that word to our lives is ever-changing. It changes with time. It changes with culture. And you're like, oh, now some of you culture wars people, you're like, oh. You're like, no, 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 no. We don't let culture influence our reading of the word. No, yeah, you do. You absolutely do. I could, I should have, I wish I would have. I could put a list of dozens of things up here that the Bible calls out of sin that you do every single day. It changes with time, and it change not the word, our application of the word, changes with time, changes with culture. You don't believe me? Here we go. This is the best example I know. How are you enjoying your slaves? How are you enjoying all the slaves you got? Here's the thing about the Bible. It's a good book. But it was written to a particular people living in a particular time. The Bible never calls out slavery as evil. Ever. It just assumes you live in a world with slaves and probably own a few. It just assumes that. It doesn't call slavery out as evil. It just gives you guidance on how to treat your slaves in a godly way. So how's that working out for you? Now, for us in 21st century America, we're like, I mean, that is deplorable to us. Like, that offends every single person in this room to our core. The idea of godly slave owning. But we have rid that from our lives that we, we, we look at those passages of Scripture and we go, okay, different time, different world, right? The Bible didn't, the, the, you know, God in the, through His Word didn't see that it was necessary for whatever reason. I mean, He's all wise, He's God, I'm not. But He didn't see it necessary to necessarily fix slavery at that point in history. It was just a part of the life that was 3,000 years ago. It was just a part of that world, a part of that life. But God speaks into 
kindness and compassion and treating your slaves with dignity and respect. It's not until, you know, even Paul in his writings in the New Testament, he gets into advice to slaves. Slaves, submit to your masters. Well, that's not very progressive, but that's where he is. Just submit to your masters as unto the Lord. And then, but it's not until the end of Paul's life when he writes this little letter to a, to a man named Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner who had a runaway slave who caught Paul encountered, and Paul is sending this, him back to Philemon. And with this, with this guidance, with a letter to Philemon, and Paul's words to him is, here, I, I, I got something for you. Um, what if you stopped considering his name was Onesimus. What if you stopped considering Onesimus a slave and started considering him a brother? And that's the very beginning of, of Christianity beginning to break people out of that mold of classes of people, right? We, the Bible, but we look at that now and we, we, we look, I mean, do you realize that only 150, maybe 200 years ago and beyond, you, it's entirely probable, possible for you to go to church and hear a wonderful sermon on the godly treatment of your slaves. I'm not preaching that sermon today. It's in there. I'm not preaching that sermon today. You guys would run me out of town. Run me out of town. And rightly so. Rightly so. Why? Because the world has changed. We don't live in that world anymore. It's not just a given that there are these classes of people and that there are slaves and whatever. You know, it's not, that's offensive to us now. And so the way we apply scripture has changed. And so I no longer preach to you sermons about, so I know you guys have slaves. When you treat your slaves, you know, when you're done with slaves, stream like this. We don't have that conversation anymore. I take that scripture and now I apply it to your work life. You know, you're at work. Submit to your boss. Submit to your manager as you do the Lord, Right? But the Bible never deals with that. Now, I bring all that up. Like, why, why did you take this weird turn on slavery, Jeff? I bring all that up to say that we have to realize that our application of the word, like it or not, it just is. Our application of the word is fluid. It does change. It does change with time and with culture. And so we have the difficult task of reading this thousands-year-old document and going, which of these themes, things seem to be rooted in that culture and don't necessarily apply to us and our culture anymore? And which of these things are universal principles over all time? It's not clear-cut. It's not black and white. And it's difficult and it's hard and it requires study and it requires prayer and it requires care. <laughs> But we're constantly doing this. We're constantly looking at God's word. You know, even the elders in our church, we're looking at God's word going, how do we, how do we make sense of this in our context and still be faithful to God? So, it, so will living hope always believe the way we currently believe about how to apply the principles of, say, gender roles in the church? I don't know. I don't know. Will we always believe the same way we currently believe about how to apply biblical principles when it, in regards to sexuality? I, I don't know, but, the, but I will tell you this. 
we're fools to not have the conversation. We have to have the conversation. And it has to be conversation that is prayerful, and it has to be conversation that's rooted in faithfulness to God and faithfulness to his word. And, and, we, and it has to be slow, and it has to be careful. Everybody wants fast change. But slow change is wiser. Otherwise, you just end up changing with every way the wind blows in our culture, and that never goes well. We'll lose who we are as, as a faith community. But we have to at least have the conversations, and they're difficult, and they're hard conversations. I can't tell you what the answers to those future conversations will be. I'll tell you where we stand right now. Does God's word say that it's a sin? God's word says about three, four different times that it's a sin. But there's way more in there calling us to love all people, share the gospel with all people, proclaiming to us that for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are no longer condemned by our sin. So let's be a people of love and a people of grace. Amen? Let's do that. This isn't an easy black and white issue, folks. And I know a lot of people want to make it that way. A lot of you want to make it that way. It's not that way. There are people involved. Your children, your aunts and uncles, your nieces and nephews, your neighbors. These are people, real flesh and blood people. Who are we to stand at the gates of heaven as some sort of gay bouncer going, checking everybody's sexuality on the way in? That's not, that doesn't work that way. It doesn't. All right, I'm going to give you the last word, and then we'll, we'll close out. Just the thought that came to mind that I don't know was mentioned today, that the truth of God's word is that our identity is in him. And if you love Jesus and if you've accepted him, my identity is in Christ. It is not in my sexuality, my job, whether I'm married or single or anything else. You know what I mean? Our, our identity is absolutely in Jesus himself. So that's what matters. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Um, big issue. Like I said, question and answer again next week. We'll get to all the other cards and, uh, and we'll deal with that then. All right. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to deal openly and honestly about very difficult issues. Um, we thank you that you have called us into the context and the culture and the time that you have called us into. Um, it seems very intimidating. It seems very daunting to think about bringing your gospel into the culture that we currently live in, but you obviously think that we are up for the task through the power of your Holy Spirit. So empower us, give us wisdom. God, help us to build relationships with people, life-changing, God-ordained relationships with people so that we can introduce them to your love and, um, and your plan for their lives. I thank you so much that your grace, your sacrifice on the cross for our sins applies to every single man, woman, boy, and girl in this entire world. None are excluded. None are left out. And so help us to proclaim that message. God, increase our love, increase our compassion. Help us to love in dangerous ways, in stretching ways. God, make us uncomfortable uh, in, in the way that you call us to love and the opportunities that you give us. And so we thank you. We thank you that you've entrusted this responsibility to us, and, and we hope we steward it well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Hey, everybody have a great week. See you next week for part two.